Welcome to Mind Tricks Radio, where we'll explore contemporary topics in psychology through interviewing creative and innovative thinkers in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan. Thanks for tuning in. We're here today with Dr. Roxy Zarabi, a clinical psychologist who specializes in helping women struggling with low self-esteem, anxiety, or dating and relationship challenges to feel confident about themselves and the future of their relationships. She empowers clients to tap into their inner wisdom and utilize their strengths to combat their inner critic, boost their mood, and enhance their relationships. Her goal is to help people learn to create the meaningful lives they desire. Roxy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So this topic we're talking about, letting go of unhealthy romantic relationships, this is a very, very common type of topic that most psychotherapists and psychologists will find with their patients coming to at one time or another. People are constantly coming in and talking about dissatisfaction in their relationships and what they should do. And so oftentimes as therapists, we're trying to take a look at this issue with patients and try to figure out why they're in the relationships and whether they're working for them. And I read some writing that you did that listed out quite a number of really interesting reasons why people stay in relationships and whether or not they should consider leaving them and the reasons why it's difficult for them to make those decisions. So I'm excited to talk with you about that today. And to begin with, though, before we launch into that, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you, maybe about your personal background and your road to becoming a psychologist. You know, I feel like I'm lucky in the sense that I've known from a really young age that I wanted to be a psychologist. Starting around age eight um, is when my interest really began. I loved reading books, and I found that I was so fascinated by the characters in the books and the development. I wanted to know, you know, what made them tick? What motivated them? Why were they acting in ways that weren't aligned with how they were actually feeling? And so that's where my curiosity really started. And then as I got older, um, I got involved in peer counseling and high school and college. And I took psychology classes and majored in psychology. And each of those steps, they really solidified how much I love this field and wanted to pursue this path. Right. And so you have done a bit of writing on the topic of relationships. So why relationships? Why is this a particular interest of yours in your Mm -hmm. therapeutic practice? So I've worked in a variety of settings over the years, but a few years ago, I started my own private practice and you know, I started to notice that there was a theme of women that were coming into my office that were feeling really frustrated with their relationship experiences. So whether they were single and dating or in a relationship and trying to figure out, do I stay or do I go? You know, it was something that was really impacting their quality of life. And, you know, I just found it so, you know, exciting to to actually work with them and see this shift of, how empowered they started to feel when they recognize that they can shift their dating and their relationship patterns. It's not some external force, like they actually have a say in the matter. And I just, I loved working with these issues and saw that there was a really high need for it. 
So when people start contemplating whether or not the relationships are working for them and whether they should consider ending or moving on, what usually happens when you see with your patients, when you start talking about that, what, mm -hmm. is there a light bulb that goes on or is it like a gradual process? Like how does this usually occur in the therapeutic process? That's a really good question. So usually when, um, clients come to see me, they're at this point of, I would say, contemplation. They're starting to have some doubts. They're starting to notice some things, but they don't feel quite ready to let go of the relationship. There's a lot of anxiety and doubt, and there's just a lot of push-pull there. And so they've gotten to this point where family and friends are starting to make a lot of comments. They're concerned about the relationship. They see the effect that it's having on this person. And what ends up happening is they, they actually feel a little bit more defensive in those conversations and they start defending their relationship. But internally, you know, the seeds have been planted. They start to think, hmm, there's something here, right? So that's usually when they come into my office. And um, I try to think of it from the perspective of I don't want to adopt the same role, you know, because if I kind of jump into exactly what the family and friends mm. are saying, this person's not going to hear it. I, I need to meet them where they're at, right? Which is that, yes, they are unhappy with aspects of the relationship, but there's a lot of fear about letting it go. So I kind of open up a dialogue about what are the things that you like about the relationship? What are the things that are concerning you? And people get to a point when they're in a you know open space where they feel like they're not being judged, they're free to express how they're feeling, that they start to hear the things that are coming out of their mouth. And they, they, at some point I see it for each client that it starts to click in, like, why am I dealing with this? You know, if somebody else was sitting here telling me the same thing, I'd be like, what, what is going on? Like, you don't, you don't deserve this. You're so unhappy. And, but those are the truths that someone needs to come to on their own. Right. It always works out better in psychotherapy when the patient thinks that he or she has um, come to the ideas on their own and it's self-motivated exactly. rather than external pressure. And I know you've also written, you have a psychology today blog about signs that a relationship is unhealthy. So I encourage mm -hmm. people to check that out as well. But so let's talk specifically about some of these reasons that you commonly see why people have a hard time ending relationships that are unhealthy for them. So one thing you talk about is people fearing being alone and assuming that being with anyone is better than being with no one. So that's the fear of just leaving a relationship and being alone. What can you tell us about this? Well, you know, I think this is a really common fear for people and it's a really powerful motivator for somebody remaining in a relationship past its expiration date. And, you know, the interesting thing is that when someone has this fear of being alone and they're in an unhealthy relationship, you know, the, the very thing that they're, fe they're fearing is actually happening already. And what I mean by that is if you're an un in an unhealthy relationship, you're not, your partner's not compatible with you. You're not being loved and supported in a way that's being, uh, you know, that's aligned with your needs. So you're going to feel alone anyways, but it's this idea of, you know, if this person is here, then at least I'm not alone. Physically, you might not be, but emotionally, 
people generally feel alone in these situations. Right. So great point. So it's pretty lonely being in an unhealthy relationship anyway. So yes, not being in that relationship isn't necessarily going to feel worse than being in one where you're feeling alone. But what is it about yeah. the concept of feeling alone that's scary for people? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I'm not saying in all situations, but a lot of times when this fear is in the driver's seat for people um, and it feels you know, just really um, anxiety provoking to think of being alone and not being in a relationship that's usually connected in some way to an important event that happened in a person's life or, you know, their childhood experiences and their, whatever that event was or childhood experience was, there was probably a lot of pain and loneliness that was felt. And so this sense that they might have the same experience is, really overpowering. You know, I mean, this is a, this need to connect to other people to feel, you know, accepted and loved by another. These are all innate, you know, human needs. And so you can understand how this can feel really scary for someone who has had such a painful experience in their past. Yeah. And that comes to another reason you talk about attachment in childhood and Mm -hmm. attachment wounds. I think you were just sort of touching upon that. Yes. We could do a whole series of interviews about (laughs) attachment. That's a huge one. But in a nutshell, (laughs) what is it when we're talking about attachment? What does that mean? And how does that relate to Mm -hmm. fears about letting go of an unhealthy relationship? You know, your attachment style is basically your relationship blueprint. It's how you, you know, connect to and relate to other people and the degree of intimacy and closeness that you seek and feel comfortable with. And when you're in an unhealthy relationship, it's typically, you know, when you're having a hard time letting go, it's tapping into some sort of an attachment wound. So if you grew up in an environment that was volatile or unpredictable or had, you know, high conflict, then you might have started to associate love with having to earn it and, you know, fix it and save the relationship. And you kind of, as an adult might go into these relationships, trying to resolve this issue. And you might end up with partners who mirror very similar dynamics And so, you know, just as an example, throwing it out there, let's say that you had a parent who was not really available. They were inconsistent. They would come around. You never really knew when you would see them. And so you grow up and you connect with somebody who's emotionally unavailable and you feel really strong chemistry at first because you think, you know, this feels like home. This feels familiar. And then you know, it's, it gets to a point where you start having those same feelings. Like you have to earn it. You're not good enough. Whatever, whatever, you know, beliefs and thoughts come up around this wound. And then there's this fantasy attached to that of, if I can't resolve this, if I can't make this work, what does that mean about me? And that's really anxiety provoking for people to let go of that fantasy. They're trying to resolve some sort of an you know, issue that occurred in the past and, you know, trying to see if they can release that. And so in a way they're trying to help themselves, but it's actually causing more pain. Sure. And in childhood, it makes a lot of sense that a child is dependent on their parents or their caregivers, right? 
Absolutely. They have to do, kids have to do everything they can to try to maintain the safety and security of having their parents there. And so the idea of a child being abandoned or being alone and then not being able to take care of themselves is really, really scary. Yes. So so I I think what you're saying is that that sort of transfers to these attachments in adult relationships where people are feeling that Mm -hmm. same need, uh, even though the partners don't necessarily play that same kind of role. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, somebody can, from these early experiences, someone, you know, can learn that in order to preserve that connection with their caregivers, because it can be so anxiety provoking to feel like they're alone, that they need to sacrifice their authenticity for that connection, you know? And so they, they do whatever they can to preserve it, even if it means it's not who they actually are. It's a way that they cope. And that's yeah. what, then when they grow up, the same dynamics, you know, occur in their relationships. Let's talk about this idea that people stay in relationships because they've invested a significant amount of time and energy into the relationship and fear letting go and starting over. What's that about? Well, I think, you know, a couple of things usually come up for people when this is a a prominent, you know, reason for them um, for not letting go of the relationship. One is that there's this hope that, well, after all this time and energy I've spent, I just know that this person can change. I know they can turn it around. We can both be happy. And so this idea that, well, what if, you know, after all this time and energy, I end the relationship and then this person changes and does all the things that, you know, that I wanted. And so that can feel really anxiety provoking to think about. And then I think another aspect of this is this fear of starting over this uncertainty after all this time and investment, even if somebody is suffering or unhappy with their relationship, it's kind of like the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't, Mm -hmm. at least it's familiar in some ways. And they don't really know what's on the other side waiting for them if they end the relationship. Is this one also one that can be called the sunk cost fallacy, that gambler's yes. idea that I've already invested so much in <laughs> yes. this, I, I better double down so I don't lose what exactly. I've Exactly. Yes. And that's the, the same dynamic that can occur in these situations. If I've invested so much time and energy, I need to continue instead of changing course and you know, what someone doesn't realize in that situation is that they're really just basing this idea on hope that this person will change, that things will shift. Yeah. I imagine this one is kind of a difficult one also because the amount of investment a person puts into the relationship obviously can increase over time. So, you know, a couple is together and then maybe they buy a house together, then they have children and they have financial connections. And so the amount of investment becomes greater and greater. And the uh, consequence of ending that relationship is a much bigger deal. As you go forward, like, is there some kind of a a barometer there? Like you, you you might not end a relationship with all of those things in place Mm -hmm. than you would if you knew within the first week of the relationship that this wasn't the right one for you. Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think part of how this happens is, 
you know, in the beginning, you're excited about the person and there's probably a lot of strong chemistry. And so you're not really thinking about these other things or, you know, what happens if it doesn't work out. But then once you get to the point that you're referring to, when the investments have gotten bigger and bigger, I mean, it is important to be honest with yourself and really think about what might this cost me? If I remain in the relationship, both emotionally and financially, what might this cost me if I leave the relationship emotionally, financially to consider all of those factors? And, you know, for some people, when they consider that, especially if there's kids involved, it's really not that simple as just leaving the relationship. They have to figure out what works best for the situation at hand. So you were touching upon this a little bit earlier too, holding out hope that the partners has potential rather than the actual person right in front of your eyes. So we see this all the time, right? People yes. say like, I see the potential in him. You know, he's, right. he's such a great person deep down. There's this potential he's got. I know it. I know mm-hmm. he can do it. Yes, it comes up a lot. And I think a lot of people can, can relate with that. And it's kind of like, The example I use is somebody who is really hungry, right? And so they keep getting these crumbs of attention and hope that this person can be, you know, everything that they wanted. This relationship can be everything they were hoping for. And they keep waiting for that meal. Maybe they get an appetizer once in a while. And I I just know that this can happen. There are signs that this person is, is making changes and that meal never comes and this person ends up feeling chronically dissatisfied and holding on to this hope that never really transpires. It's keeping them hooked, but it never really transpires. So it's it's similar to wearing, you know, rose-colored glasses and just seeing only the relationship potential, but not what's actually in front of you. You know where I think I see that a lot? Like, I think a person could experience that at, at any stage of their life at any age. But yes, I don't know absolutely. if you see it in particular younger people, right? Because young people yes. still have a lot of developing to do. A 21-year-old in a relationship yes. is still almost still a kid, right? I mean, I'm yes. old, so I can say that. But they're still <laughs> young. And so both people in the relationship yeah. have a lot of developing and finding themselves mm-hmm. to do. And so yes. sometimes you, you sort of don't, know who you are, who who the other person is mm-hmm. at that age. So what can you say about that? Like when you counsel and work with say young women who are in their early twenties or just sort of at that stage and neither know what direction they're going, what usually happens in that kind of a dynamic? Well, you know, in that kind of dynamic, someone might be coping and relating in ways that they didn't realize, like oh, I thought this is just what you do in a relationship or because my boyfriend likes X, Y, and Z, so do I. I just thought this is what you do to to have a relationship survive. So there's all these ideas and beliefs that they have that they um, a lot of times haven't yet realized are not actually their own. So sometimes I'll ask, you know, this belief that you're talking about, like, well, this is just what you do in relationships or this is just, you know, I'll ask them, where do you think this belief came from? Do you feel like it's your own? Do you feel like it's coming from someone else? Like, what are, what's your sense of it? And a lot of times that, you know, especially the younger the client is, that will make them 
stop and think a little bit like, hmm, I wonder, right? Is that something that I actually want for myself? Or is it something I've been told I should want or have been told this is how I should act in a relationship? But I will say that it does occur, of course, much more in in younger adults. But at all stages of life, if you know, someone has not thought about some of this con- relationship conditioning and haven't, they haven't had the most healthy role models for a romantic relationship, they can find themselves relating the same way that a 21 year old is in their relationships. Mm-hmm. I've seen that quite a bit. And repeat the pattern in relationship yes. after relationship until they kind of yes. figure it out. Exactly. Yes. How about people attaching their worth to their relationship status? Yeah, I think that that's, you know, a lot of conditioning that comes from society of this focus on your relationship status. But depending on, you know, somebody's cultural background, their family upbringing, their stage of life, depending on these factors, they may feel more pressure to be in a relationship and to, you know, essentially attach their their worth to their relationship status. And, you know, when they think that this defines their worth, they're more likely to make decisions from a place of fear and not from a place that's aligned, you know, with their best interest and their values and their needs. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, it's a different concept, but it's the same idea of people who, you know, attach their worth to their job, to their major, to their grades, None of these things actually define us. They don't define our character, our values, who we are, how we treat other people. Again, a lot of that just goes back to conditioning. Right. So you mentioned a couple important things. One are clearly the external forces, whether they're cultural or religious or whatever, that other people Mm -hmm. would say like, you there's something wrong with you if you leave a relationship you're not supposed to do that especially if you're married the other thing that you were saying about just a person's internal self-worth like you hear people say in therapy like basically calling themselves a loser for their relationship not working out so yeah i mean what would you tell somebody you know if they if they felt that they were bad or wrong like you know, for a relationship not working out, they messed up and it's a black stain on their lifelong trajectory. Yeah, I do see that coming up a lot in sessions. And one thing I will say, of course, you know, these sorts of thoughts can come up even in a relationship that's ending that wasn't necessarily unhealthy. However, it seems to come up more at least from what I've seen in situations where somebody has been involved in unhealthy relationship dynamics. And I think one of the reasons for that is that, you know, when they are in a relationship like this, they start to feel disconnected from themselves. They feel like something's not right. They don't feel good about themselves in this relationship. They feel like they need to walk on eggshells. They can't fully be themselves. They start to doubt themselves. Right. And you know, depending on what was going on in that relationship, if their partner was emotionally abusive or was gaslighting them, they start to have a lot of self-doubt about, oh, it was my responsibility. I messed up, you know, and their partner's not taking any accountability. Then they can get into this mindset of, you know, it, it was my fault that the relationship didn't work and I can't make other relationships work. They start to generalize that to other 
future experiences. So that's not an uncommon one for the partner to actually put these thoughts in the person's head that they're the problem. And if they leave, it's because of them. Yes. Why do they do that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's coming usually from a place of insecurity and wanting to either control the other person and, you know, they're, they're not ready to take accountability or face how they've been acting in the relationship. And that just kind of puts the other person in this position of taking on all of the responsibility. And that's not necessarily the dynamic in every unhealthy relationship. I mean, it shows up in a lot of different ways. It's just a theme that I've seen in a lot of my sessions. Just as a sidebar here. So you Mm -hmm. mentioned gaslighting is something that some of these folks might do. Can you describe what exactly is gaslighting? That's a, been a popular phrase lately. And yes, it has. It's, it definitely has. Yeah. So that's referring to, you know, somebody who is manipulating you to doubt yourself, like to doubt your reality, really. So here's just, a, I mean, this shows up in so many ways, but just a simple example is, you know, a partner saying, I know that you're never going to find somebody like me. I know that, right? So let's say they make that comment and then their partner comes back and says, you know, you said that and that was so hurtful. And then the partner says, um, I never said that. Mm-hmm. I never said that. Just complete denial, you know, or minimizing like, I was joking. We're talking about, you know, your friend and her relationship. This had nothing to do with you. You know, just kind of, again, causing the person to second guess themselves to doubt themselves, to doubt their reality, and to have them take accountability for the other person's actions. Right. So like you're saying, if a person is brainwashed, so to speak, long enough about them and their own ability to have agency to leave the relationship and being okay, they they may feel like by doing so, they, they blew it or they messed up. Exactly. So Roxy, you've mentioned this idea of people not knowing who they are outside of the relationship. I imagine that must be kind of scary for people, but what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I think an unhealthy relationship, like I mentioned before, you, you start to doubt yourself, you feel disconnected from yourself. And a lot of times you experience a loss of identity you know, you become so used to molding yourself into what you think the other person wants and into this role of trying to like save the relationship, trying to fix it. And that you kind of lose sight of what are your needs? What do you want? You know, what do you feel? And so when you get to that place, it can be really scary to think about leaving the relationship because you don't know who you are. Like, who am I? Where do I belong? You know? And so there's this sense of not being grounded. And even if something is making you feel really upset, like the relationship, it's still familiar to you. And so when people feel uncertain, they don't know what to expect of their future. They tend to hold on to what's familiar to them, even if it's painful. Yeah. And I imagine that if a person has been just so involved and enmeshed in a relationship dynamic for a long enough period of time. If one were to leave the relationship, there's a whole lot of free time there. What do I do with my time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's something that comes up for people as well. Right. 
you know, an, an unhealthy relationship, it does take up a lot of time and energy because either you're talking about it with friends and family or you're, you're not because you're concerned about what they think, but regardless, you're, your energy is going a lot towards the relationship and yeah, it leaves this space of what do you do with that, that time and that energy. And, you know, for a lot of people that feels anxiety provoking, like they don't, they don't know where they would start. And one thing I would add to that is that in a relationship like this, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times people have come to a point where their family and friends are starting to get really frustrated and they're starting to tell them you need to just end the relationship. So a lot of times people will start, they'll either do one of two things. They will um, continue, maintain these relationships, but cover up the parts of the relationship they don't want to share because they know there will be judgment and they're not ready to, to hear, you know, what others have to say, or they'll just distance themselves from friends and family. And when that happens, I think along with the loss of identity, it can make it really difficult to let go of the relationship because then it's not just who am I, where do I belong? What do I do with all, with this time I have now? But also who do, who, you know, can I rely on? Who can I talk to? Right. And so if they feel like they don't have that anchor, it just makes it more likely for the person to remain in the relationship. Yeah. Sort of like a vicious cycle. The person is hiding more and more of themselves from yes. the people who really do care about them. And then thus depending more and more on the person who they're having an exactly. unhealthy relationship with, and it becomes more isolating. I assume that's probably one of the signs that you talk about, about recognizing if you mm -hmm. are in an unhealthy relationship is the degree of like distancing from family and friends and people who care about you. Yes. Yes, it is. And, you know, just noticing for yourself, I mean, one is when family and friends are making a lot of you know, comments and giving feedback about the relationship. But another is if you notice yourself distancing yourself from family and friends, and especially if this isn't something that's characteristic for you, you know, even if there's just one or two people in your life that, you know, that you, both of you usually share a lot about how you're feeling and what's going on. And then you start to notice, huh, with this person, I'm, I'm actually not sharing as much as I typically would. That's usually a sign you know, that something's not right. Cause it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel typical for you. So what do you tell people when you're working with them or talk with them about, about this fear of like being judged? You know, I want to leave this relationship or it's not working really well for me, but it's embarrassing now to talk about this with people who I would otherwise trust and want to care about. I, I seem like, like a ridiculous person and the things going on are really kind of embarrassing and I'm going to be judged for it. How do you help people sort of mm -hmm. work through that one? That's a good question. You know, a lot of times um, something I've heard in session is clients saying, I feel like I'm leading a double life. Like mm -hmm. I have my life with my relationship and then friends and family have no idea what's going on. And I've been so upset by, you know, all these situations. And, but I feel like you said, like, I feel embarrassed or like they'll judge me or they'll tell me immediately get out of the relationship. And you know, what I share with them is when you're in a situation like this, it can feel really um, overwhelming to suddenly share with everybody in your life. So thinking of maybe one or two people, identifying one or two people that they feel safe enough with to try and test the waters. Like that's kind of how I present it, um, of sharing with 
one or two people, something that does something about the relationship that sure, it might feel, it might feel personal to share a little bit anxiety provoking, but it doesn't feel really overwhelming to share to start there, see how the person responds and then kind of take it from there, just getting a little bit more comfortable with it. And, you know, I'll also ask the client to think of, you know, if you were to reverse the situation and think about, okay, so if a friend that you care about came to you and said, I have been struggling in these areas in my relationship. I have been feeling concerned about telling you because I don't want to get judged, but I really want to share this with you. And then they share everything that, you know, you've said in this, in this session, what do you think you would say? Would you, would you look at your friend and say, oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? Or would you say, I'm so glad you shared this with me. Like, let's work through this together. You know, how would you, and usually clients, like when they are actually thinking of a friend in this example that they care about, they're thinking, no, I would just want to be there for them. I want to talk to them. I'd feel, you know, I'd feel privileged that they actually shared this information with me and I wouldn't judge them for it. Mm -hmm. So the fear of having a really strong negative reaction is probably not so founded if the person is really somebody in your life that you trust and you wouldn't expect them to respond like that if you knew them well. Yes. And, you know, there are some people that will have a really strong reaction. So it's, it's, you know, up to the person to think about like, who, who do they trust to start to take this step with? Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, a disclaimer can be helpful. Um, that's not a thing I, I talk to clients about, you know, of saying, that, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier when I was talking about it, but I really want to tell you something. It's been on my mind. I don't feel ready to leave the relationship, but I do feel it's important to talk to somebody about this. So what I really need from you is to just kind of be with me in this and share this experience with me rather than telling me what to do. Something like that, like just kind of explaining what they need that can help the other person, you know, know how to respond and how to be there for them so that they don't get into a defensive, you know, mode where they're defending the relationship. Let's talk about another reason why people have difficulty leaving unhealthy relationships. You talked about the idea that people are conditioned sometimes to overfunction in a relationship and fix, save, or fight for it at their own expense. Tell us a little bit about this. Why do people do that and how does that get them into trouble? Yeah. So I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, but if you grew up in an environment where there was a lot of, you know, volatility or high conflict, um, you may have learned to take on this peacemaker caretaker role, or maybe you saw a parent um, take on that role with another parent. Right. And so that's kind of what you learned. So you, you learn to associate in those situations, you can learn to associate love with having to fight for it, having to save it. You know, it's not real unless I have to earn it, right? Or the same thing if, you know, one or more caregivers were unavailable. It's not real unless I have to earn it. And so then when you get into a relationship as an adult and you find yourself falling into the same role, 
it's not really that unusual. It's familiar to you, right? So, so from an outside perspective, it might look like, wait, you're, you know, you're over-functioning in this relationship. You're giving a lot. You're not getting much back. Like what's going on, et cetera, right? But to the person themselves, this, this feels probably natural and not unusual. And it's not different from anything they've known. And that's how you can fall into patterns like this. What's an example of over-functioning? What does that look like? Yeah, um, I think I could, it can show up in a lot of different ways, but um, one way is where, you know, somebody is trying to have difficult conversations about their relationship or even just like expressing their needs or, hey, here are some things that I feel like we could really work on. And the other person is just every time they try to have a conversation about the relationship, the person is shutting down. And so then their partner is trying to research, what do you do when this happens in a relationship? They try to go to therapy, you know, and on their own to fix the relationship. And because the partner refuses to go to couples therapy, that's just like one example. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, situations where the person is, uh, again, expressing some of the things that are upsetting them. And there's, you know, the other person is just kind of like, I would call it like cruise control. They're not really, you know, putting much effort into the relationship. And this other person is keeping it afloat, making all the plans, initiating the contact, you know, and um, that starts to feel really draining after a while. Right. And so what I'm hearing you say is that that is what overfunctioning looks like. And for people who have a hard time leaving a relationship and are playing the overfunctioning role, it's because there's something about them that feels like this is what you do in a relationship. You overfunction. That's the mm-hmm. rule, the dynamic that I come into play, but actually that's probably not healthy. Mm-hmm. And one thing, yes. And one thing I would add to is, you know, another way overfunctioning can, can come up. And I know another term that can be interchangeable with it is, you know, codependence, but mm. when a partner has an addiction of some sort, something that's really, um, impacting the quality of their life and the, you know, also impacting their partner is getting into this mode of, oh, they struggle with drinking. It's the same idea of what I was bringing up before. Like I've seen sometimes that let's say if somebody's boyfriend is struggling with an alcohol addiction, boyfriend says, oh, I'm not going to work on this. So this is not an issue. It's not a problem at all. Like you have the problem. Right. And then, so then the girlfriend goes into therapy to work on the boyfriend's issue. Like that's the reason she's saying that she's going to therapy. So that's just, that's one example too, of how over-functioning can look. I think it shows up in a lot of different ways. Right. That's a great example. And just kind of talking about the codependency concept, this idea, I think that shows up that sometimes people even might choose under-functioning people because that's where their comfort zone is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so one thing I notice, you know, with this sort of pattern is that if somebody is used to taking on that kind of caretaker peacemaker role that that's familiar to them, if let's say they get out of their last relationship that was like that. So they start dating again. If they start to say things like, oh, I just didn't feel like there was a spark. I was kind of bored actually on the initial first few dates. That, and I'm not saying always, but that's usually a sign that this person, 
you know, is not eliciting anxiety, right? It's not familiar to them. And, Mm. and this could actually mean that the person they're saying they feel bored by is healthy for them. It might just be that they're not used to being around somebody where they, their system, you know, they feel calm and they don't have to jump into the over-functioning role. It's not familiar. And so it can get construed sometimes as, well, this is boring. There's no sparks, there's no fireworks. And sometimes, you know, I think this idea is, is pushed a lot, you know, with movies and books and music that, oh, you know, somebody's the one when you feel, you know, sparks and you feel fireworks and, you know, yeah, sparks are not necessarily a bad thing in all cases, but especially in situations where you're used to having unhealthy relationships or you're used to dating the same type of partner without success, if you're feeling sparks or really strong chemistry early on, it's usually a sign that that you're feeling anxious, that, you, you know, something about this situation is feeling unsettling to you. Yeah, I think that's such a great point, Roxy. And I think it's very important for people to pay attention to that on dates when they're meeting people for the first time. So that's that concept of um, confusing chemistry for compatibility. Let's talk a yes. little bit more about chemistry. I mean, when, when people talk about yeah. chemistry, what, is, what does chemistry mean to people? I mean, it's, it's really this attraction to another person and it's not just physical. It's how excited do you feel about this, this person and how, you know, attracted do you feel not just to them physically, but to their energy where it just kind of feels like it clicks. Right. And, you know, you can feel chemistry with a lot of different people. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're compatible with them. One of the examples I like to use when I'm talking about this concept is that you can think of, you know, chemistry like frosting on a cake, right? The cake is comprised of these ingredients, like the shared core values you have with this other person and your compatibility with this other person. If the cake is missing ingredients, then it doesn't matter how much frosting you put on it. It doesn't matter how good that frosting tastes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not going to, the actual cake is not going to taste good. Mm-hmm. And you're going to feel really frustrated, you know, the more you keep trying to make it work. Mm-hmm. Also, can you tell I like desserts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... <laughs> I think it's a it's a really really great analogy because the frosting overpowers the cake flavor, but ultimately, yes. if the cake doesn't taste good, um, you're not going to be um, enjoying eating it for the rest of your life. So, exactly. Yeah, I think that's an excellent analogy. This is maybe sort of related. The idea that people get hooked on the highs and lows, sort of the emotional volatility of a relationship and that feels like a reason why people stay. How is that related? You know, in an unhealthy relationship, it can feel like an emotional roller coaster. The highs are high, the lows are really low, and it can kind of take on the quality of an addiction Mm -hmm. of sorts, right? So it's the same sort of idea, this, um, you know, what's referred to as intermittent reinforcement. This is what casinos rely on that, you know, how do you keep people coming back for more? You give them some small gains, some coins, a few dollars here and there, you know, you throw them a bone every once in a while. And then, you know, they hold on to this hope that 
they can get that big win. They can get that jackpot. Well, in an unhealthy relationship, usually it starts off at a high, right? There's a honeymoon phase, as I mentioned before, lots of strong chemistry, this feeling like, oh, I've known this person forever. So a lot of times people in these dynamics keep thinking, I know I can get back, you know, to that, that place with this person. And they're just waiting for that next high. And, you know, it does, it does, it's part of a cycle. So it will come up. It's not that it doesn't, it's just that those lows are so low, it starts to overpower anything else. Right. And if lows are so low and then boom, you have a high, it's almost like a, like a fix, a a drug fix. Yes, exactly. You're waiting for that next hit. Yeah. Whereas if things are more stable, the drug fix doesn't feel as rewarding because you weren't down as much on the relationship. So that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Yes. So we hear sometimes people saying, you know, relationships are hard. Relationships are hard work. That's just what you expect. They're hard work and you got to stick it out through thick and thin and just, you know, put the hard work in. And that's a reason why you say some people don't want to leave the relationship. So what can you say about that? Yeah. I mean, relationships are hard, you know, they take, um, work and commitment and time and energy, but a relationship should not be so hard that it's causing you to compromise your values or your sense of self to make it work. You know, the quote I'm thinking of, I don't remember who said this, but it's, um, you know, like you can't set yourself on fire to keep somebody else warm. And it's the same sort of idea that you can't compromise yourself to maintain the relationship that that's not how healthy relationships work. It's not that relationships should be easy and sort of peaches all right. the time. You know, we were dealing right. with two different people with two different, with different needs and wants and, and whatnot. But the fact that the relationship is hard and maybe harder than it needs to be in and of itself, isn't the reason to stay. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I do see that coming up a lot for people of, because you you do hear that a lot, that relationships take work. That's an acknowledgement that a lot of people make and it is true, right? So it's kind of used as this, well, I know relationships are hard, you know, and there's kind of this idea of, well, if I break up with this person, I know I have to work hard in the next relationship. Like what's the difference? But it's also looking at, you know, how secure of a base do you have with this person And are you, again, are you compromising yourself to maintain the relationship? That's really what it, what it comes down to. Right. You may have to work hard in the next relationship, but the next relationship could be a healthy one that you're working hard for, not an unhealthy one. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Right. So these are all really awesome points about why people have difficulty leaving unhealthy relationships. And let's just spend a few minutes talking about what people can do to examine these and have the courage to move on and leave the relationship if that's the right thing for them. You know, something that's really important is if somebody is contemplating, you know, they're starting to notice some things about the relationship that don't sit well with them, but they don't feel quite ready to let go of it. And they're trying to figure out how do they do that? Like when they do think of that, it feels really difficult. They don't know where to start. That it's really important that they start with trying to be honest 
with themselves. So if there is someone in their life, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if there is someone in their life that they trust to just start the process of talking with this person about some of the reservations they're having. And then, you know, to also consider asking themselves different questions, just kind of reflect on. So um, I mentioned this one earlier, but I think it's really important, you know, thinking about if the situation was reversed and my friend was telling me the same things that I'm experiencing, what would I tell them? What would I encourage them to do? And would I be concerned for them or would I approve of, you know, this person that they're, they're dating? Like, what would I think? And, you know, so asking that sort of question, it kind of helps, um, help somebody shift the perspective a little bit, you know, it's like, oh, well, if I would never accept this for my sister or, you know, for, for my friends, then why am I accepting it for myself? And really kind of sitting with that, um, and then asking themselves, you know, what's the reason that I'm remaining in this relationship and being really honest about that, identifying what are some of the fears that might be playing a role there. I think those questions are really important. And then, you know, something else is, you know, asking themselves, if nothing changes in this relationship and I stay in this relationship for the next year, would I be happy or would I be dissatisfied? So this question kind of cuts through this, you know, potential for change and potential for hope. And it's really encouraging the person to see the relationship for what it is. If it remains as it is, does that work for me? Does that not work for me? And sometimes when people think of another year of the same thing, it really causes them to think about, is this something that I want? Is this something that I can you know, that I can maintain, you know, and it, it brings up some conflicted feelings. So really just being honest about those um, questions. And then, you know, I mentioned um, the support system. Something else I think, you know, that's important to consider is for somebody to ask themselves, how do I feel about myself in this relationship? Do I feel like I can fully be myself? Do I feel you know, like nothing I'm ever doing is enough. And I think that, you know, that the answer to that question is really telling. And then of course, you know, I think meeting with a therapist can be really helpful because, you know, the therapist is an objective person. They're not gonna, you know, say the exact same things that this person has probably been hearing from everybody else. And it, again, kind of opens up the dialogue to answers, you know, answer questions like this. So I think it really just starts with um, exploring these questions from a place of curiosity and not judgment, but, you know, trying to have a support system in place, you know, is, is really important too. I do want to add that, you know, a lot of the dynamics we've been talking about are unhealthy and dysfunctional. And, you know, there's, we did talk about emotionally abusive situations, um, but of course there are situations right, where somebody is feeling unsafe in the relationship or they're feeling threatened. They're worried about what could happen if I leave. There might be kids involved. We talked about earlier, there's, you know, financial considerations. If, you know, can somebody live comfortably on their own? Are they dependent upon the partner, you know, for finances? 
Is their safety being compromised? So when it comes to issues like that, I would always recommend that somebody in this situation consider the resources that they have access to and to meet with a therapist or a social worker that can help them come up with a plan for them to consider. And even if they're not you know, ready to leave the relationship, they know that they have options because you know, sometimes it's like we talked about earlier, it's a situation where somebody feels like the costs might be too much and they don't feel ready, but at least they know there are certain resources or options they have you know, that they can, um, they can follow up with in the future um, when the time comes. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Oftentimes people don't realize the resources and options they have available to them. And there's oftentimes a lot more out there than they would even expect. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So Roxy, this has been a super interesting and informative conversation. I've really appreciated all of your uh, commentary and thoughts on this subject. Is there anything that you would like to leave us with today on this subject matter? Yes. You know, if you're listening and you are a family member or friend of somebody who's in a relationship that you're concerned about, you know, I know that it can be really difficult to watch somebody that you care about struggling and feeling unhappy in their relationship. And, you know, you might feel like, I really want to help this person. I really want them to get out of the relationship. And what I would say is I recommend that you open up a dialogue with this person where they can share with you honestly how they're feeling. Because if you try to start off with, you know, judgment of why are you in this relationship and you need to leave immediately, the other person's going to get defensive. They're going to shut down. And it's actually going to make them more likely to not share with you when something is going on in the relationship in the future. You want to keep that line of communication open so that when they're ready, you know, they can talk to you about it. Yeah, that's that's such an important point. And people don't like being told what to do or judged or feel like they're being bullied into something. So having that kind of softer approach and opening the dialogue, that makes complete sense. Well, Roxy, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me today. It's really been a pleasure and very enjoyable talking with you about this. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to Mind Tricks Radio. I hope you have enjoyed the program. For more information about Mind Tricks, you can go to my website, www.waikikihealth.com. Be sure to subscribe to Mind Tricks on your preferred podcasting host to be notified of new episodes of Mind Tricks. Please take some time to give Mind Tricks a good rating and review wherever you are listening. It really helps get the word out to new listeners. And please like and share Mind Tricks posts on Twitter and Facebook by following your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan.